0: Hi, I'm Matthew Billy, and this is the DMA Report, a podcast about digital music advertising, brought to you by F-Sharp. To help analyze the clues, we invited a veteran of the music streaming industry onto the show named Jason Hershkowitz. Jason Hershkowitz has worked with major companies such as AOL Radio and LimeWire. He has used his experience to address a major problem with modern streaming services. These services are self-contained environments and not compatible with each other. If I share a song using a Spotify link, unless you are a member of Spotify, you can't listen. If I want to transfer a playlist from one service to another, I can't because my listener data is imprisoned by the service that I use. Jason Hershkowitz and his partners have designed a streaming service called Tomahawk that aims to liberate your listener data from these self-contained streaming environments and create an internet where anyone can play any link to any song, no matter what streaming service it originated from. Jason often refers to these self-contained environments as silos. Technology is advancing at a faster and faster pace, and music streaming services are no exception to this trend. Ten years ago, it would have been hard to accurately predict the music streaming world that we live in today. It would have been hard to guess that Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google, and maybe Tidal would all be locked in fierce competition trying to become the most widely used streaming service. If we've progressed this far in the last ten years, where will we be in another ten? Which of these services will be on top? How will music streaming evolve, and what factors might be holding it back from its full potential? It turns out that a keen eye may be able to see enough clues to make a pretty reasonable prediction. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the DMA Report. Thanks for having me. Uh, you have been a journeyman, and you've worked for many, many music streaming services. Yeah. Uh, many are, were famous and are now defunct. What did you do at AOL Radio?
1: Uh, AOL Radio, I was product manager there, so um, I actually took over that product um, from a previous product manager, but this was early days of Pandora. We were doing broadcast radio stations um, and you know, building web-based players and integrating AOL Radio into a number of different devices, um, as you often see now, whether it be into set top boxes that were around at the time or into other applications or into, you know, um, uh, third-party mobile players those types of things yeah
0: and LimeWire what'd you do for them
1: uh, LimeWire headed up products there so LimeWire was already kind of at the end of its life I was there the last year and a half um, LimeWire obviously well known for its P2P application uh, I was brought in to help build a subscription music service uh, and worked on that with uh, a fair number of folks who are actually now at Spotify doing the same thing uh, and uh, we built a, about 95%, I would say, of an on-demand streaming uh, subscription music service that uh, was only seen by a handful of people, uh, many of the major labels, but not many people outside of that. Um, so it went down with the ship. But it was, uh, it was as I like to say, it was, it was really good at the time. Um, it would still be pretty good today, but at the time it was, I would. Uh, I'm biased, but I would say it was a very good product that nobody got to see.
0: So, you know, both those systems are no longer around. Yeah. Why do you think they
1: failed? Um, This is a uh, notoriously hard business. Um, It is, well, LimeWare had legal issues, obviously, to overcome, um, which is hard to do. If you take the path of trying to build an audience and then uh, make good with the rights holders after the fact, it's going to cost hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and that's a hard investment to make pay off in a business that notoriously has very thin margins. So, uh, LimeWire shut that down just because settled with the major labels as long-standing lawsuit, um, and part of that settlement was to shut everything down. Uh, AOL Radio, I mean, it, they've outsourced some of. That. I actually don't even know the state of it anymore. It's just it costs a fair amount to stream music from a licensing perspective and operational perspective. Uh, and it makes very little money um, whether you're doing an ad supported or you're doing subscription if you're doing subscription obviously it really wasn't subscription but if you are doing subscription um, you're working with 30% less than 30% margins before you've covered any of your costs right so you start talking about hey as a subscription music service I'm now covering all the costs of distribution which in the in the world of physical back in the day distribution was not covered by the retailer um getting that product to the stores getting that product to the consumers so you're like i have to, all the operational costs i've got all the overhead all the software development all the licensing costs all the marketing costs so now you're talking about like single digit margins basically for a service um, and it's hard to make that work financially unless you can get to really big scale which is what everybody now is is trying to do scale at all costs basically or the people that already have scale the companies that already have scale trying to use it almost as a loss leader to get you into other parts of the business.
0: Do you use any streaming services like Spotify or Apple Music? I use 8-Tracks some. I don't use Apple Music. I don't like the idea of having to pay for a streaming service. Okay, so you don't pay for 8-Tracks. Is it all free? Yeah. Oh, very, very cool. Do you create any playlists on there? Um, I've created a few and I use it as a platform to like listen to playlists that my friends created Oh, too. awesome. So you share a lot of different playlists. Yeah. Awesome. There is a different problem that you're currently working to solve. Uh, the limitations of sharing music online. What are those limitations and what causes them?
1: Yeah, so these silos, as I like to call them, are by design, by the services. Uh, everybody is trying to use their service um, and market their service to get all of your friends to join the same service so that you can share and, and have uh, uh, you know kind of social experiences around music. Uh, the analogy I always make is about text messaging way back in the early days where you used to not be able to send a text message to somebody on a different carrier, and or be, you'd be marketed, hey, get your friends to sign up to our carrier and then you can send text messages to each other, you know, or friends and family. And so all of these services have created worlds where it's in their best interest, or it's at least perceived to be in their best interest, um, that all of the links that you share are used as uh, customer acquisition tools to get your friends to also join the same service uh, as you. The challenge of course is there are is more than one music service um, my perspective is that the labels want there to be multiple strong competitors in the streaming world because in downloads iTunes owned it um, and when it comes to negotiating power when you start talking about re-upping contracts whoever has the most power is going to get the best deal and so I, I have this kind of long not totally convoluted but a bit convoluted. Um, Uh, thought process where it's in the label's best interest to make sure there are multiple strong competitors in streaming and so that's why you now have Apple and you have Spotify and you have Amazon Um, and and by doing so you created all these silos where you use a different service than I do and we can no longer have any kind of meaningful social experience around it because I send you a Spotify link and you're an Apple Music subscriber Um, and so this problem has been created by the market forces and so my goal is to be able to boil it back down to let's talk about music and make it playable for everybody using the service that they wanted.
0: And you designed a piece of software specifically to address that problem, Yeah, Tomahawk.
1: uh, Yeah, so uh, obviously not just myself, but there's a group of us that have been working on this problem for a number of years. uh, And Tomahawk was designed always to be uh, a multi-source music player. Um, And so the original concept really behind it was... We all have music everywhere. I got some on my local disc. I've some from my Spotify subscription. There's some stuff that I love on SoundCloud. There's some stuff on YouTube. There's some stuff everywhere else. And the original thought was, music is everywhere. You shouldn't have to like jump from silo to silo to silo. I just want to play my stuff. I just want to listen to a playlist that jumps from one source to the next to the next. Um, the flip side of that, as we quickly came to realize after you know um, starting to get into this and more and more streaming services were popping up, is that that. Core approach to how you solve that problem also solves this social problem, um, because I can drag and drop a you know Spotify link into Tomahawk and have it play back from an MP3 I have on my hard drive, or just as easily play back from I would have said audio two weeks ago, or you know Deezer or YouTube or SoundCloud if it's available there. So it's always about finding the best available source for you, the listener, not me, the person that shared it. Right? It should resolve to the service that I want to have a relationship as a listener, not be forcing me into a relationship with a service provider that I don't maybe may not have a relationship with. Now, is there an upside for the musician? I mean, I always think you know the more seamless the experience is for everybody to listen to your music, the better. Um, we and also from a promotional perspective, what you see happen often is an artist wants to promote or a label wants to promote a, a new track. And they say, how do we make something that's universally playable for everybody? Well, I like guess we got to do SoundCloud or YouTube. But now you've forsaken all of the, the granted fractional pennies that you would get from the subscription providers. But if I already have a relationship with a Spotify, why should I play it from SoundCloud? Where you get no money as a musician? Why shouldn't that money be start to be collected and tracked, and even the charting data start to be collected and tracked? For the service provider and subscription provider that I'm already paying, so yeah, I, I like to think it's a win-win uh, all around um, to just really make it always default to the best available, you know, source for me as a listener, but also oftentimes for you as the artist.
0: So you're saying that um, if I put a, a SoundCloud link on my web page, Billboard is not going to recognize that for their charts, but if I have your link. It, it, some of it will get recognized. Some
1: of it will get recognized. Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's a lot of it is is how do you create a universal embedded player that just works for everybody, right? And so roll back. If you can hit it and you hit play, it plays from Spotify for you, and I hit it, and I don't have a relationship with any uh, paying subscriber, then roll back to SoundCloud or YouTube or one of the free services. But don't not take my data and my play, you know, and my, and my, Fractional penny, if I'm already have that relationship, you, it's it's basically being wasted at that point. So but being able to provide a player that just does the right thing for everyone in the, at the right time, I think um, helps clean up a lot of the kind of lost opportunity.
0: And do you think Tomahawk is ahead of its the curve, or do you think it's an outlier and people will never really reach for that goal?
1: Um, it's a it's a fair question. I mean, we've been working on it five years. Um, I thought. Um, five years ago, we were five years ahead. Um, I still think it's a problem that a lot of people uh, a few years ago would say, this is just a really extreme music nerd, music tech nerd problem. Like most people don't realize that this is a problem. Uh, you're starting to see it more and more that people are starting to realize this is a problem, that their data is locked up in a particular service provider and then that service provider disappears. Seeing this happen with RDO right now, I've got Years were the playlist in RDO, and now RDO is disappearing. What do I do with those playlists? Um, the goal around Tomahawk always is that you as the user own your data, and that data can be mapped to one or many service providers. But if one disappears, you flip off RDO and you flip on Spotify, and all your playlists are still there, and they all still work, and you still own all that stuff. You haven't lost anything from the transition Yeah.
0: Yeah, when I think of uh, the ten years worth of playlists that I've lost on it, you know, I mean, services that I don't even remember the names of, yeah,
1: it's it's an ongoing thread. I mean, it happened with iMeme. it happened with you know Project Playlists, it happened with you know uh, services I've worked on, Music Now. It's happened on you know it just it's a it's a never ending cycle, and unfortunately, people their first reaction is how do I move my audio playlist to Spotify? When really, what I would love them to be asking is how do I own that data? Um, that's my data that metadata around what that playlist is and what I've curated and what I've listened to uh, I should own that and then I'll gladly pay somebody to fulfill the playback of behind that data but that data should live with me um, it is in Tomhawks open source we're very much about people owning and controlling their own destiny uh, and really about being open and and, and supporting and promoting data portability and um, and ownership.
0: So, do you think the uh, the contracts with the major record labels are actually inhibiting creativity when it comes to designing music streaming services? Oh,
1: absolutely. Can you give me an example? Um, I mean, that would be the primary one, right there. I, I think you talked about is being able to use uh, and reach out to the audience of these services with other deals and other offers that would be monetarily beneficial both to the streaming services and to the artists and to that fan relation, you know, direct fan artist relationship. Um, When you see those not being able to be exploited because of uh, terms of a contract that requires that money to go somewhere else, I think that's a loss for everybody. Um, And so I think the goal has historically been this would be additional good revenue for um, the labels and we hope that ultimately people will start to offer that stuff. But what you see everybody saying is we just won't. and, you know, I'm speculating a, a, a bit here, but that's always what it felt like. Uh, and even years ago in some of the services that, that I worked on, um, that was the case. We said, we'd love to do X, Y, and Z. And you're like, well, we can't because it just doesn't make financial sense.
0: Recently, we've seen a lot of uh, exclusive deals where an artist will pick a one streaming provider. Are we going to be seeing more of that in the future?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think... You will see this happen both because we were t- I was talking earlier about when you're dealing with commodity content, um, and I use that term um, uh, not in a derogatory way, but when everybody has the same music to stream, as a streaming service, the only way for you to really differentiate is if you have content that other people don't. And you see Netflix doing this and see HBO doing this and you see Showtime doing this. Uh, so you try to figure out ways to get exclusive content, and that's either by cutting checks to large established artists or by finding new and upcoming artists and saying, you don't need to do a deal with a label, do a deal directly with us. Um, So absolutely, I think you're gonna see more and more of these exclusivity wars heat up. Um, And from a label's perspective, it's actually kind of in their best interest to to get people split across both different providers and or get people to pay multiple providers. Uh, Same thing you see in video. I pay for HBO and I pay for Netflix and I pay for Hulu. 80% content on those are the same. Um, you're paying for the 20% differential, differential, um, and so your ARPU, right? The average revenue you spend on video in this case is 3x what it normally would be to get a 20% differential of the exclusive content on each of those services. So I definitely think that that's a trend that's going to continue. And you, know, you
0: mentioned the streaming services actually signing deals with the artists,
1: yeah. the similar to the way Netflix has with TV shows. Yeah.
0: Is that really going to become a thing?
1: I I think so. I. Been thinking that for a couple of years. Um, I think you're already starting to see people play around with it, um, even if it's just not signing deals per se, but even doing, you know, in studio stuff, exclusive stuff. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's coming, um, and I honestly think you'll see that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if you see that with with Apple sooner rather than later.
0: And uh, if you could look into your crystal ball. 10 years from now, what is the streaming world going to look like
1: from a competitive marketplace standpoint? It's going to be similar to what we're seeing now. We're going to have a handful of the big guys that uh, all are using music as a loss leader to get you into other parts of their business, um, whether it be uh, Amazon or Google or Apple. Um, you know, somebody like an independent like Spotify that works cross platform is one that people I think will continue to, to move towards. Um but there will be a, a a few handful ones ultimately music I would love to see empowered to be leveraged as an API across lots of different experiences let people build niche services and products on top of uh on top of that um and let like a, you know a thousand flowers bloom based on a, a handful of different content providers at the API level that's what I would love to see um we'll see if that happens yeah
0: Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: No problem. Thanks for having me.
0: That concludes this episode of the DMA Report. The DMA Report is produced by F Sharp. For more information about this podcast, please visit dmareport.com. Special thanks to Jason Hershkowitz for being our guest. For more information about Jason and his music streaming service, Tomahawk, you can visit tomahawk-player.org. The DMA Report theme music was composed by Darren Lake. Darren also mixed and edited this episode. The artwork was created by Heman Kim. Anderson Darrow and Ariana Israel were the interviewers on the street. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the DMA Report on iTunes or whatever application you use to listen to podcasts. Also, if you would like more digital music news, you can visit efsharp.com and sign up for the DMA News newsletter. That's it for now. We'll talk more about digital music advertising on the next DMA Report.